Hi, everyone. Welcome to the June 24th, 2022 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your guest host, Krista Kafer, columnist with the Denver Post. As the summer-long search for the new host continues, you can expect to meet our permanent host by September. Well, let's start with today's topic. It's breaking news. In a 6-3 decision, the Supreme Court ruled in the Dobbs case that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion, and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. Here in Colorado, access to abortion remains protected, but we could that could see uh, being overturned by future lawmakers. Let's start with Patty Calhoun. She's the editor of Westward. How does this change things in Colorado, or does it? Well, there are protesters out right now in front of the Capitol. By noon, there was a protest. So I would say that's one of the changes we're going to see. It's not just going to be in Colorado. It's going to be across the country. It is going to rev up people on all sides of the issue. And really, on this issue, there are two sides. But it is going to rev them up. It's going to affect the upcoming election. Here in Colorado, we have to remember, we were the first state to legalize abortion. Dick, the late Dick Lamb pushed that through the legislature. He was a freshman legislator. Governor Lamb uh, Governor Love, who was a Republican, signed it into law. We were the first state where we respected a woman's right to choose that freedom, and we have upheld it. And I think Colorado is still, whether it's libertarian or choice or freedom or civil rights, we are still a leader that way, and I think we will remain that way, unlike a lot of the rest of the country, including 13 states where right now abortion is going to be illegal. I thought when the legislature and polis pushed through the Reproductive Health Equity Act this session, they were going too far. But now I like it that we affirmed that women have this right and that Colorado is a state that wants to affirm it. I'm nervous when you hear what all of a sudden Judge Tom, Clarence Thomas is talking about, you know, extending this and looking at same-sex marriage and just all the different issues. It is a concern. I wish he would just go home and tell Ginny to quit emailing and calm down. Next up, we've got Laura Carno. She's with the Independence Institute and a libertarian. What is your take on this decision? Yeah, so even before um, the decision came out, there were states jockeying for position, right? So, and, and it's a big old pendulum swing with Colorado um, all the way up till birth and, and some states uh, banning banning it without exception. So I think what we're going to see in the coming, um, I don't know, months and years is, is that pendulum sort of figuring out where, where it's going to land. You still have Gallup released recently its um, annual um, uh, poll on how people, how Americans feel about, about abortion. And still, the, this, year, this is this year's poll, 71% um, of Americans um, don't like third trimester abortion. So I, I, I almost look at this and say, is, is there a place that that we can all agree? And I know that states are going to be different. That's that's federalism. Um, but is there a place we can agree? Like the moment before birth, we all think is a little too late. Maybe, maybe not for some people. Um, but I, I'm looking at forward at this as um, as this longer process on where do all the states, um, where do they settle, and what impact does it have on, on midterms and on the presidential election? Eric Sonderman, columnist with Colorado Politics and also the, uh, the Gazette. Um, you've been here a long time. You've, your sense of, of what goes on here in Colorado, does that change anything for us in terms of the, the dialogue, in terms of politics? Obviously, there's a law in place, but there's a lot of dynamism still. 
Well, I think it changes a lot, but I don't think it changes anything terribly unique to Colorado. I think this is a national conversation, and we are certainly a, a part of it. This is a day for intense feelings on whether you're on the pro-life side of this or on the pro-choice side for this. And I think you need to respect those feelings and let them be heard and let that play out. I've written a couple columns, and I know Patty referenced that there are really only two positions here, and I think she's essentially right. I was trying to trod something of a third path, which is saying it's possible to be pro-choice, which I am, not unilaterally, not without some asterisks, but I am pro-choice, and still think that Roe was flawed law and has been flawed law for the past 50 years. Now, I know that position probably has a constituency of one, but nonetheless, I do think as time goes on, as Laura pointed out, hopefully there will be some calmer heads. Hopefully there will be a little bit of compassion on both sides of this debate in terms of understanding the viewpoint outside your circle, outside your echo chamber, seeing how other people uh, see this issue. And I would love it over the long haul, again, playing off of Laura a bit, if we could just narrow the goalposts. We're not going to have a kumbaya moment around this issue. It's always going to be a contentious issue. But maybe we can, or at least most of the country can agree, that maybe a zygote running around a test tube doesn't have all the rights of life. And on the flip side, a full-term 36-, 38-week fetus does have some rights. And if we could even bring in the goalposts from those extremes just a little bit, that would be progress. Thank you. Penfield Tate, he is a former legislator and also the principal at Tate Law. You've run for office before, obviously. Does this change the dynamic in this upcoming election? I, I think it changes the dynamic in Colorado elections and national elections, and it changes the dynamic nationally. You know, th this opinion in Dobbs is really odd because Justice Alito talks about how Roe and other opinions didn't resolve the debate over choice, that it simply accentuated the tension among people's opinions and among the states. Well, the irony is this opinion takes that up a notch. And when you have Justice Clarence Thomas announcing, and I quote, we should reconsider all of this court's substantive due process precedent, end quote, He's saying, I don't even care what the facts of the case are. I've got a body of law that I just want to do away with. And this court, I think, is announcing it has now officially become the political arm of the right wing of the Republican Party. This session, they have announced pro-gun decisions, pro-funding private ins religious institutions with public money, anti-choice, anti-civil rights. And Clarence Thomas is talking about coming after gay marriage, contraceptive rights and other rights. So if you think this culture war is going to be tamped down, it's going to accelerate because the Supreme Court, I believe, is serving notice that they're not just going to be a neutral arbiter. They've picked a side and they're going to push it. Let's take a look at state politics. This week, primary spending for the state house's uh, independent expenditure committees has reached about $2 million, a price tag typically only seen in general elections. House District 6 has the largest amount of dark money funding between Democratic candidates Elizabeth Epps and Katie March. Uh, Laura Carno, you uh, you got money on on one horse or the other, or what do you think of the, just this sheer amount of money that's been pushed into these races? Yeah, an amazing amount of money, and this, this race is interesting because it's sort of a battle of the endorsers, uh, <laughs> which which 
part of the uh, Democrat Party is endorsing which one of these candidates, and then the money that's following. And you can look at the statewide races and see, again, a whole bunch of um, dark money or, or some money that's out in the in the bright light where you have Democrats saying, we would rather run against Ron Hanks, we would rather run, run against um, uh, Greg Lopez. And these are some really unprecedented amounts. Um, in the last five days, there was another two and a half million, I think, put in um, the U.S. Senate race. So I think there's all kinds of stops that have been taken off. I mean, this isn't new for uh, parties to meddle in one another's uh, primaries, but there's sort of some unprecedented money here. Uh, and so it'll be very interesting to see how this affects uh, who wins on Tuesday. We'll all be tuned in. So, Eric, you know, we know with dark money that we don't always know where the source of that money comes from. Does that change the dynamic of this race? Well, I think it potentially changes the dynamic of a number of these races. I mean, first, I just want to give praise that for campaign finance reform and that we have taken the big money out of politics. <laughs> Haven't, hasn't that worked out well for all of us? Of course, that is uh, a misnomer. We've just chased that money away from the candidates themselves and chased it around to the back door where it is much darker and, 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 and not disclosed. Uh, Republic, I mean, these Republican primaries, yes, there's a action here and there on the Democratic side, the central Denver legislative race probably being the hottest one, but 95% of the action these days in this primary is on the Republican side, and it fascinates me to see how this is going to come out. Republicans have an unprecedented opportunity since they've had their two-decade decline in Colorado. This is their opportunity to get back in the game. They have a national wind. We'll see how strong the national wind is, but I think it's going to be a substantial national wind at their back this year. If they nominate a serious-minded, mainstream Republican slate of candidates, they're not going to sweep the table but they're gonna win some races this year. But if they go and nominate wackadoodles, which they may do, and Democratic money is urging them to do, uh, then you have to ask if the Republicans are not gonna rebound in Colorado in 2022, when is that gonna happen? Because I don't see it coming. So this is a test of seriousness for the Colorado Republican Party. You know, uh, Penfield, that uh, the Republican races between the sort of fringe candidates and the normal people has taken a lot of the headlines. But the March Epps race is pretty interesting because it's between two Democrats, one who is mainstream, one who is pretty far to the left. Do you have a sense of what's going to happen in that race? You know, I don't. But uh, let me offer this perspective, because I actually think this topic is tied to the first. When you've got a Supreme Court that is now saying we're going to let states decide a bunch of stuff, all of a sudden the ante gets raised for all of these state legislative races, because that's where some of these issues are going to be resolved. Um, and, and, you know, I, I agree with Eric's analysis. I mean, you have Dick Wadhams, the former state party chair of the Republican Party, saying, we could actually make some gains if we don't, you know, shoot ourselves in the foot by nominating people like Tina Peters, who's an indicted um, candidate, and, and we've got her on the ballot to be Secretary of State. Uh, and, and so, I think what's happened is because of the pressure to control state legislative bodies, all of this dark money's coming in, and Eric is 100% right. Um, people want campaign finance reform, which sounds good, but all we've done with our reform efforts in this state is force money away from candidates who should be responsible for the messages that they put out and who funds them to all of these dark 
money campaign vehicles where nobody knows who's spending money, not even the candidates. And so it, it's counterintuitive, but that's the situation we have. I don't know what happens in Epps in March. I just think it is one of the more bizarre races we have going on um, this campaign cycle. Um, and you normally don't see the schism in the Democratic Party, but it's coming very, very pronounced now. It's sort of a microcosm of the, the Bernie Sanders AOC contingent on the national level versus what people would call mainstream Democrats. Uh, but it's playing out here as well. Patty Calhoun, do you have a sense of how these races are going to play out, both the March Epps, but also some of the Republican races? It's going to depend a lot on who goes out and votes. What On Wednesday, it was 14 percent of the voters had turned in their ballots. Will people be energized by the gun decision from the Supreme Court, by the Roe v. Wade decision? I think people will be voting more than they might. And remember, don't mail it. Deliver it. Deliver your ballot. So I think we might get a big turnout, and that's going to change things. Will it change the March Epps race where you have two women running against each other? I'm not sure, but the dark money is really significant there because it used to be in these smaller statehouse races, you know, you would just be talking over your fence to your neighbor, talking about them. Now you actually have dark money coming in. It's been a really ugly race with a lot of suggested things and some bad tricks, and the people are not accountable for it. I also think that race could be a forerunner for the, uh, the mayor's race in Denver. Um, Penn was talking about federally. Well, you take it lower level, so you've got Leslie Harrod, who wasn't going to endorse, but she came out and just endorsed Epps. She has talked about maybe running for mayor. You have Alec Garnett, who had said he might be interested, maybe not, but March worked for him. So you have the two branches of the Democrats, both in the state house and here in Denver, and to see where they're going to go. We're going to take a second round on this one, but we're going to look specifically at the top-level races. Uh, Hanks O'Day, uh, Anderson, and um, Tina Peters, as well as Ganahl versus Lopez. Predictions quickly. Yeah. Um, I was standing on stage at the Republican State Assembly nominating Deborah Flora um, for, for U.S. Senate. Um, sadly, she didn't make the cut. Um, I am hopeful that the Republicans who turn out in the primary, um, as opposed to the State Assembly, are a broader swath of Republicans. Um, as we know, this, this caucus and assembly process um, pulls people from the, the far left and far right. And um, so we don't necessarily get out of those assemblies the people that are, are most palatable, not just to the the Republican, in this case, the Republican um, uh, primary elect electorate, but to these unaffiliateds who are going to end up voting in the in the general election. So um, I, I'm for um, O'Day and uh, Ganahl and Anderson and the uh, optimistic person sitting here at this moment. Um, that's my prediction. Eric Sonderman, your predictions. Well, I hope uh, Laura is right because I think any state or any municipality is better with two viable political parties. And Colorado could use a viable Republican Party that it hasn't had for some time. I'm not sanguine that those people will win. I think as a general rule, those bigger electorates are very different on both sides, but particularly the Republican side from the, the, the five, 6,000 people who turn out for uh, an assembly. Uh, this is a fascinating race for Secretary of State. Pam Anderson is everything that Jenna Griswold is not. Pam Anderson is everything that Secretaries of State 
with one exception maybe, have been around Colorado for the last 30, 40, 50 years, which is a manager low on politics, high on nonpartisan administration in the office. Can't she get through that primary? We'll see. I'll, you know, I'm not going to put any money on it, but uh, wishful thinking will say Ganahl, uh, O'Day, and um, Anderson. Penfield Tate, tell me you're not rooting for uh, Tina Peters. Um, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you've heard me before, no. I, I think there are serious issues there, but I think she's going to win the primary. Um, I think she's going to be the nominee of the party, um, and, and she will lose to Jenna Griswold if she isn't disqualified from the ballot altogether by some point. Um, I think Hanks is going to actually win that primary. It's, it's looking, it, there, I have a strange feeling just talking with people and moving around the state. Um, I think O'Day is getting hurt by some of the attacks on Hanks coming from democratically aligned organizations. Um, and, and I think, um, I mean, I like him personally, but I think the more Lopez talks, the more he hurts himself. So I think Ganal probably wins that, that primary. Patty Calhoun, do you have any predictions for the uh, the top ticket items? Well, I can only hope that Tina Peters succeeds in this. I don't think she will, but as a journalist, who would you want to write about? Pam Anderson is so reasonable. She'd do such a good job. Um, she would be like the many, many Norma Andrews. I mean, the great... Um, secretaries of state we've had before, she would be in their model. Tina Peters, she might bring in Mike Lindell. How can we not root for that? Thing, exciting <laughs> things to write about. I think Ron Hanks might make it, which is really interesting, watching those disinformation campaigns that the Democrats have paid for, just saying he's too conservative and that it might woo Coloradans into voting for him. It's really a fascinating campaign. I do think Heidi Ganahl will be the gubernatorial candidate. Over a dozen sheriff candidates are campaigning with the promise to stop government overreach, and the candidates are particularly focused on the red flag law, a law that grants judges permission to temporarily seize guns from individuals who are considered a threat to themselves or others. Eric Sonderman, it seems to me that not implementing the law is an attack on rule of law. I have some concerns about that. Do you? Agreed entirely, Krista. This goes back to nullification. We've seen attempts at this throughout history. We fought a civil war on the issue of nullification. Uh, you can think what you want about red flag laws and, and uh, vaccine mandates and mask orders and all the rest. But, uh, you know, if that is your foremost concern, then run for a legislative seat or run for the governor's office. If you're running for sheriff, your job is to enforce the laws of the state. So do your job. I think this sort of contingent of Republican candidates who are hanging their, their hat uh, on, on this issue of, I don't know, what do they call themselves, constitutional sheriffs, as opposed to uh, suggesting that other sheriffs who are actually doing their jobs are somehow not constitutional, uh, it does not speak well for the heartbeat of the Republican Party these days and how far it has drifted into that uh, crazy zone and that worrisome zone. Penfield Tate, former legislator, also a lawyer. As a lawyer and a legislator, how do you view the situation? Uh, you know, Eric's 100% right. Sheriffs have got no business trying to nullify their law. They're, they're supposed to be law enforcement. <laughs> um, there's a reason why that term is used, and the red flag laws are the laws of this state. They ought to enforce them. They don't have to agree with them. And as a lawyer, I've handled some matters where I didn't necessarily agree with what was going on, but that's my job. If they don't like it, Eric's right. They ought to resign and run for the legislature on a slate that we want to repeal these laws. But 
people expect them to enforce the laws on the books, and they have to understand if they don't, they lose the prerogative of trying to enforce the laws they do support because people will say, well, you didn't enforce the one you didn't agree with. Why do I have to obey the one I don't agree with? They don't want to be in that situation. Patty Calhoun, this kind of rhetoric, this I'm not going to enforce the law rhetoric, how does that play out in an election? Well, you would hope the voters are paying attention, but right now you, you're getting smacked in the face by the gun laws. You've got Congress actually, you know, actually a gun bill going through. You have the Supreme Court coming through with another decision, which is taking away some of the concealed carry. Then you have these sheriffs. At a certain point, can't they go just beyond the Supreme Court? Do they? Ha I mean, they can do anything they want there. They can make the law there. But it is true. What if they are running for the office? they should enforce the rules of the office. And we've seen this sheriff rebellion before. We saw it in the early days of the pandemic. There is no place for it in Colorado. Laura Carno, is there a place though to not enforce a law that you really believe is not constitutional? Yeah, I know a lot of these sheriffs personally, um, being involved in politics, they all want their community to be as safe as possible, flat out. Um, the, con there are concerns about some of the red flag laws that have been enacted, um, and it all comes down to um, due process. So if there, if there is due process, um, most people understand that, that that is the role of the sheriff. The issue I have with the red flag laws as they're written, um, especially here in Colorado as well as some other states, if there's a really violent situation about to happen and you take a firearm out of the situation and leave the person, um, you're not make, if, if this is a domestic abuse situation, you're not making that woman safer by taking a firearm out of it. It, it um, almost gives, gives some law enforcement the ability to say, look, we did our job. We took the firearm out of the situation. We left the car, we left the knife, we left the rope to strangle her with. Um, um, when I have this conversation with sheriff's candidates, um, they are looking for all of the tools to keep their community safe. And does red flag um, play into that? Um, are there concerns with it? And, and how do they work within that? But um, I, I don't think anybody doesn't, doesn't want to keep their community safe. They all agree. All right, now for our favorite part, which is disgrace of the week, and then we'll follow that up with something nice. But disgrace of the week, Patty Calhoun. Well, there's a lot of action in Washington, D.C. right now with the incredible circus at the Supreme Court, which is just mind-blowing. I mean, what happened today? But let's not forget the hearings that are going on, which have been amazing about January 6th. And to bring it home, John Eastman, who was on the payroll at the University of Colorado, wooed here to be a great conservative scholar. Now we're finding out that he wanted to be sure he could get pardoned after giving such excellent advice to Donald Trump that Mike Pence could override the whole thing. I'd like to see how Ron Hanks, if he's elected and doesn't win, will respond because he is still thinking that there was a big lie. Laura Carno, Disgrace of the Week. Yeah, so as somebody who follows school safety very closely, I run an organization called Faster Colorado where we train the very many armed school staff in Colorado. The behavior of the, the school chief of police in Uvalde, Texas, um, is horrifying to see what happened. And every day, um, new news comes out of there on how that was handled, and uh, none of it's good. And um, I, th I think he will continue to be a disgrace. Eric Sonderman. Well, I agree with Laura. I was going to go the same place as Patty, but since she said it, 
Uh, let me keep it a little more locally. The Douglas County Commissioners and their sort of ham-handed amateur hour threat to use eminent domain, domain excuse me, to take back a mountain park that has been part of the Denver Martin Park Systems forever, Daniels Park, which is a beautiful piece of land over their disagreement with Denver over concealed carry law. Uh, there's ways to express your disagreement, but you're not getting your hands on Daniels Park. I think Mayor Hancock had made that clear, and maybe we could work to cooperate a little more instead of throwing idle threats around. Penfield Tate. Maybe it was a Freudian slip, but eminent domain is right. <laughs> um, the Thomases, Jenny, the January 6th co-conspirator, and her husband, the Supreme Court Justice, who has pronounced now that he's looking to overturn a bunch of precedent that he didn't agree with, even though he hasn't looked at the facts of any cases, he's just putting us all on notice. He wants to overturn a bunch of stuff. That's tragic. Let's go with something sweet. Patty Calhoun. I'll skip the abs because I'm sure others are going to say something about that. But I want to uh, congratulate Denver Health on bringing in Donna Lynn, the former lieutenant governor of Colorado, to run the place. A great woman, smart. She's coming up back from Columbia. She's got a good experience. I think she'll do a great job. Laura Carno. Yes, um, I will say something about Dave Kopel, whose seat I am currently occupying. Um, work that he uh, he did in his work with um, Independence Institute was cited in the New York Supreme Court case, um, giving New Yorkers back the ability to defend themselves. Way to go, Dave. Eric Sonderman. Heroes are in short supply these days. Wyoming Representative Liz Cheney is stepping into that role. That is what courage looks like. The history books are going to be a lot kinder to her, whether she gets reelected or not, than they're going to be to a lot of her cohorts among the Republican caucus of Congress. And since we have a minute, let's go abs. Let's finish it off tonight. I have my hockey tie. And for the record, Patty, on the New Year's show, when we were uh, asked to give predictions, I predicted that the abs would bring home the cup. Penfield Tate. All of mine have been taken, so go Avs. Um, enjoy Pride Fest, but I, I got to go along with Eric. I mean, Liz Cheney uh, identifies, I think, the ideal of what we want in our elected officials. I rarely agree with her on any substantive issue, but in terms of being a statesperson and looking out for the best interest of the country and putting herself at risk, at political risk, of losing her reelection because she wants to uphold the institutions of democracy, says a whole lot about this woman. And I, I just, as an American, I just couldn't be prouder. Well, that's all the time we have. I want to thank everyone at this table. Fantastic job. We'll see you next Friday on YouTube, PBS Channel 12, and also pbschannel.org. Don't forget to share your input with us at cio at pbs12.org. And also, um, on behalf of everybody here, have a fantastic night.